This week's episode of To The Top Talk is brought to you by CollegeSportsUnfiltered.com Talking Southern Miss athletics with some pretty knowledgeable Southern Miss fans. Great place to go, unvarnished, unfiltered. You won't have to sift through the propaganda. Southern Miss fans, check it out. CollegeSportsUnfiltered.com Hey, it's Frank Caliendo, and I'll be back in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Yes, Miss- I should have fixed this. Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, for the fourth annual Last for Life comedic event. Mississippi, of course, home of Morgan Freeman and Brett Favre. August 2nd, might have said that already, and we'll see you there. Hakuna Potato. You are listening to To The Top Talk with Jamie Arrington. Thank you, Jamesy. And Jason Bailey. Bump is uh, pretty good. But the reality is... They don't know, man! I've been looking forward to To The Top Talk. You know, I have that with myself every night. Every day, anything we do is Southern Miss to the top. What's going on? What's happening? How you guys doing? Welcome to To The Top Talk with Jamie Arrington and Jason Bailey. Here with your break from all of the High Resource 5 propaganda in the mainstream sports media to talk about the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles. As we've alluded to the past few weeks, we were kind of in the middle of the uh, summer interview gauntlet. Jason and I aren't going to be necessarily tag-teaming these episodes. We're going to just try to get some really good interviews for you guys throughout the summer while we go on vacation, while things are a little slow. I'm going on vacation this week, so uh, I wanted to bring back an interview from the archives, but I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I've never had it on to the top talk, so I think it's going to be a good time. But before we get to all that, uh, a little bit of news. We have a new softball coach as of this past Friday. His name, Brian Levin. He is the head coach at Belmont in Nashville. Got a, a very unique and impressive resume. He was a former Green Beret. So... Look him up. I'm sure they're going to have some stories out about this guy. He sounds very interesting. But he will be the new softball coach here at Southern Miss. All right, so let's get to the guest. So as I alluded to, this is an interview from the archives. I did this interview a few years back on my other podcast, airing it out with Jamie Arrington. It is one of the more entertaining interviews that I've done. And because um, we are taking on his former team this year, it has some relevance. So this guest made a big impact on me when I was a mascot back in the day in college. And um, he's a former UCA college mascot national champion, former Big Al from the University of Alabama. Also authored the book Big Al Behind the Mask. He's got some amazing stories. This is going to be a fun one, so I hope you guys enjoy Even though it's not entirely Southern Miss related, this is one of our opponents this year. So I felt like it had some relevance, um, but he's got some great stories. I think he toured around telling these stories and stuff. Uh, I don't know if it was at Walmart or what, but he toured around Alabama, uh, but really a super guy. I was really glad to get him on the show, and I didn't really feel a need to do this interview ever again because this is this is perfect. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Please welcome our guest this week, Shane Sharp. One of the most famous mascots in college sports would be Big Al, the elephant at the University of Alabama. Today, we've got one of the men that donned the suit, one of the more successful 
Big Al's of all time, my good friend, Shane Sharp. How's it going, Shane? Man, I'm doing great today, Jamie. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. Good to catch up with you, man. It's been a while. It, it has been a while, but I tell you what, it's, it's easy to keep up with uh, you know somebody that's a celebrity like you, man. It's easy just to click on the computer and see all the great things you've got going on. Oh, that's Facebook propaganda, man. That's all hype. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's well, shameless, you, right? Shameless. Exactly. You're exactly right. Uh, so you were born in Birmingham, Alabama, so you really didn't have a choice of what team you were going to pull for growing up, did you? Well, there's a choice. You just got to make sure you make the good one. You know, we, we've got two options here in Alabama. You can, uh, as Coach Bryant said, you can choose Alabama or the Cal College down the street. You got the choice of the two. So um, I chose Alabama. I thought that uh, seemed like I had a lot of wisdom in that move. Plus, um, all my family was Alabama fans. I, I didn't have very many Auburn fans in my family. So uh, so it, it obviously worked out. I, I grew up just loving the Crimson Tide and, um, you know, just wishing to be a part of it when I was a little guy. You know, it was always awesome to go to the games and to watch them on TV and certainly the mystique of Bear Bryant. He, he said something that was legendary as a little guy growing up and just hearing all the stories about Coach Bryant, um, it just it made you want to be a part. So um, really cool being a Birmingham boy and getting to go to Alabama. What were some of your favorite uh, Crimson Tide memories growing up? Well, th- no doubt about it. Um, there's a, uh, a game in 1985 where Alabama beat Auburn, and we beat them with a last-second 53-yard field goal kick that Van Tiffen was a kicker at that time. It's just one of those moments in history that, Everybody remembers exactly where they were, and that's one of mine that I, I can I can vividly remember um, sitting at my grandfather's house in Birmingham with my family there and watching this kick and um, uh, what an awesome play it was because I don't think Alabama was really supposed to win that game, um, but um, Alabama played tough and uh, here with one second to go hit this big field goal. So uh, that that certainly is probably one of my favorite memories. I can remember watching people like Cordelius Bennett. Um, when he uh, sacked Steve Berline with uh, Notre Dame, um, hit him so hard it uh, knocked him out and gave him a concussion. Pretty cool to see things like that. Derek Thomas, um, just some of the great players that have come and played at Alabama over the years. Man, just awesome to grow up and to, to see the tradition, the pageantry that is Alabama football. Man, it's incredible. Most now, most people that turn into mascots, they have some kind of an interest in sports. And then at some point, that doesn't, whether it's injury or just natural ability, it doesn't work out. When did you start becoming a mascot? Man, you know what? That's so funny you said that because I probably fit that scenario perfectly. Um, you know, if I would have been good enough to play sports, I would have been all over them because I'm as competitive as they come. Um, just probably didn't have the skill set to match. I probably was uh, maybe best at basketball. Um, but I tried everything, tried playing every sport. But So the way that I got into being a mascot, um, just by being a normal teenage guy, um, I'm in class and uh, in high school, and um, one of the local clubs, the Leo Club in Forestdale, Alabama, I went to minor high school, donated a mascot costume to our high school. We had not had a mascot to that point, and so it was our first time to do it. And so um, there's a girl in my classroom that uh, was a cheerleader, and the cheerleading coach was trying to figure out what do we do? Do we have a tryout? Do we just pick somebody? What do we do? And uh, this girl uh, turns to me and says, let's let Shane do it. And I said, do what? She said, let Shane be the mascot. And I said, what do you mean? What do I got to do? And the way she sold me was, she told me that I would uh, need to go to cheerleading practices and I could go with her. 
and uh, I would need to go to football games. And, again, I could ride with her if I wanted to. And then I would have to go to cheerleading camp, and I could ride with her to cheerleading camp. Well, the first two didn't really get me, but when she mentioned cheerleading camp, I pumped the brakes. I said, wait a minute. There's a thing called cheerleading camp, and uh, that was how she got my attention. And so I decided that I would suit up and be the minor tiger. Uh, T.D. the tiger was his name. And uh, so from 1990 to 92, I was T.D. the tiger at minor high school because it opened the door for me to go to cheerleading camp. What did, did Now, for the people that are out there that don't know, when you go to cheerleading camp, they also have a mascot camp, and that's kind of where you learn the craft. That's right. That's right. So one of the first things they teach you when you go to mascot camp, they teach you how to walk and the character um, that that character has. So if I've got a goofy personality, you have to learn how to walk goofy. And so the coaches there at that cheerleading slash mascot camp are teaching you how to how to really refine that walk and make that mascot look like a character, a real-life cartoon character, rather than a kid in a costume. You know, um, in Orlando, you can imagine that there's a lot of work that goes into suiting up to be Mickey Mouse so that when kids see Mickey, they believe it's the real Mickey and it's not just a a kid making minimum wage, you know, walking around in a costume. So the same thing happens in high school and in college. Um, when you're in that mascot costume, there is training that takes place to make sure that you look like that character, that you make that character come to life. And so that was what the mascot camp, the trilogy camp, if you will, was for me, was to go and, number one, to find the character for that minor high school tiger, um, but then also to learn how to develop it and look like that when I was um, on the field at football games. There's a certain element of machismo among the fans out there. And and coming up when you and I came up, uh, now it's a little different. You've got lawsuits and everything, but everybody wants to see the mascot get in, the, get in a fight. So yeah. what was your first encounter like? Man, listen, so going back to cheerleading camp, um, I can remember the eternal colonel from eastern Kentucky was, my, was the coach for my ma- first mascot camp that I went to. And the guy was great. I, I couldn't believe just how good this guy was as a mascot. But there's one thing that he said that sunk into me um, that, that I probably never forgot, and it came up in my brain a lot of times throughout the course of my career inside a mascot costume. It was this. Whatever you do, don't get into a fight with the other mascot for this reason. You don't know who that person is in the other costume. And he explained the story how he was the, uh, the eternal colonel mascot for Eastern Kentucky, and their big rival is Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers. And they actually were playing on ESPN, and uh, he ends up getting into a fight with the Hilltopper mascot from Western Kentucky. And it didn't go so well for the Eastern Kentucky mascot, and the uh, the Hilltopper won the fight. He later finds out that this guy is a wrestler, I guess, for Western Kentucky and just kind of moonlighted as the Hilltopper mascot. So he <laughs> he had the training, if you will, to win this fight. So... Um, thinking about that, uh, you, you don't know who's in the other costume. You have no idea if they're trained to fight or not. And let me go ahead and tell you, I was not. Um, I'm somebody who has made a living on having the gift of gab and being able to talk. I've talked my way into a lot of situations and out of probably more. And so uh, being in the mascot costume, um, that weapon is eliminated. So there's not a lot of, not a lot of fight really in me until um, it comes down to You've got this costume on, and you feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. So let me tell you my first one. Um, so we are playing a high school called Prattville High School, which is one of the largest high schools in Alabama. We're playing them for homecoming. And it was extremely rare that other high schools had a costume mascot. I typically was the only person there. 
if you know that time at a high school football game, you've had the football team come out on the field, they've warmed up. Once they've warmed up, they go back in the locker room to get that last-minute speech from the coach so that they can come running out on the field and they can win the game, right? The band is getting set up while the team's back in the locker room, and there's about a five-minute window where really the only thing that's happening is the guy on the microphone is announcing all the sponsors for the game. So that was normally my time to kind of have the field and show off. So what I would normally do, and let me go ahead and say, I love professional wrestling. I love, still love it, still watch it, watch it with my sons now. But um, I would usually try to get a, as big as possible stuffed animal of the team that we were playing, their mascot, and take it out to midfield and just drop the elbow on it, give it a splash, whatever I could do to have some fun with it, really any wrestling move that I could try to recreate. I would try to do with this stuffed animal mascot. The band got to where they would play with me, so if I'm running to put a splash on this mascot while he's laying on the ground, I would go running and jump, and they would do a drum roll, and then when I would land on the mascot, they would clash the cymbals. So I really had a lot of help in making this look very visual. Well, this particular game, I'm out here, and, and I'm beating up. Now, let me go ahead and say, this is homecoming my senior year. So this would be uh, 19, the fall of 1991, homecoming. And um, uh, here the crowd is getting behind me. Uh, they're getting real energized. And I'm like, you know what? They have finally bought into what it is I'm doing. They're loving everything that's happening here. So here I am um, jumping on this, this little stuffed animal mascot meeting up, and the crowd's getting louder and louder. And I, I can't believe the amount of energy the crowd has right now over watching me jump on this stuffed animal. Well, somebody taps me on the shoulder, and I just knew that I had done something to get in trouble or I was in somebody's way while they were trying to set up something. And I turn around, and here is this huge lion. And this lion has his fist in the air like he's ready to fight. And so all I can think at this point is, don't fight. I had no idea they had a mascot. I don't know who's inside it. The costume was really big. And so, you know, I, I don't know what's inside there, but it sure wouldn't look good your senior year of homecoming to go out there and get beat up. So uh, I try to back up a little bit and try to – and I. I really wasn't a tumbler, but I would do some junk tumbling that, that didn't land to look funny. So I try to tumble. I try to dance. I try to do toe touches. Anything I can do to challenge the line to compete with me other than fight. But the line keeps pushing me. He'll shove me. Um, he'll take some steps forward toward being very aggressive. And so it, the button just got pressed. And so the line pushed me really good one time. And I hear the crowd give the ooh. And so when they do that, I retaliate with a really good push and follow with a, a right hook. And when I swing my right hand, I connect with this lion right on the jaw. I mean, I could feel it sink in through the, the mascot costume head and, and hit bone, man. And so I kind of back up like, all right, here we go. Well, I back the mascot up. The mascot kind of shakes his head and starts coming forward. And so here we go, and we're going blows with each other. And we're, we're both swinging and pushing and Look, Jamie, you've been inside one of these mascot costumes. It is extremely hard to see anything. Oh, yeah. So here you are. You've got very limited sight. So it's kind of like fighting in the dark because you really you, you can't see really what you're hitting very well. So here I am swinging, trying to get the upper hand. Well, uh, lo and behold, I was getting the upper hand, and I was beginning to dominate this lion on the field. Um, I'm beginning to every punch that I throw is sinking. If I hit in the stomach, it's sinking. If I hit in the face, it's sinking. Um, any push that I do, 
the, the line is going back a couple of feet. And I began to really, for lack of a better term, bully this line around midfield and, and in control. So much so, Jamie, that it was getting boring, that the fight was getting boring to me because I was dominating the fight. Now, let me go ahead and say, I'm not a fighter. Totally not my personality. But when you've got a crowd of people yelling to, to do it and, and to get them, you kind of feel like you can or feel like you've got to because of this Superman cape that is the mascot costume that you're wearing. So I'm out here and, and just, for the first time ever, dominating a fight, right? And so I decide what would it look like if I'm in the crowd and start trying to be very entertaining with it. And who's the most entertaining fighter ever? What's Muhammad Ali, I think. Yeah. Of course, I heard your podcast on Roy Jones Jr. I, I got to think that's probably, I got to put him in the mix too. That dude was awesome. So um, I began to swing my right arm and get it going, kind of like Muhammad Ali would do, you know, to make big circles and then throw a left hook and hit him right in the jaw, dance around a little bit and just trying to emulate anything that I saw Muhammad Ali do. Well, I rear back and I kick this line in the stomach and the line folds over and I hear this. Oh! And I sat back and I said, this is either a real feminine guy or it's a girl. So I begin to try to back up, right? And so the the line starts coming at me as I start backing up. And I'm trying to keep this line off of me because I've heard something that let me know that this is completely wrong, what I'm doing. So my cheerleaders pick up on the fact that I, I've declared victory and I'm trying to walk off. So they come running out, pick me up and carry me off like in a victory celebration, a victory ride off the field. As I get to the sideline, um, I have somebody come over probably 10, 15 minutes later. Now I'm being congratulated by all my friends on what a good job I did that, that man, you beat that line up, way to go. Good job. And so my head is as big as the clouds, man. I'm, I'm the man, you know. It's senior year, high school, homecoming, and, and I have just beat up the line. Our football team got beat 28 nothing, but I, I beat the line. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but I but I have somebody come over and say you really should go over there and apologize to that lion, and I said no the lion started I, all I did was you know I tried to back up and tumble and dance and toe touches and the lion kept coming with it and wanted to fight so we fought yeah but you know what um, that was a girl over there you really should go over <laughs> and apologize to her so um, I, I did not go apologize at that time so fast forward. I am teaching cheerleading camp in college. Um, this would have been in 1996. I'm teaching UCA um, high school cheer and mascot camp. And I'm, I'm giving my resume to the campers. And I tell them that I was the minor tiger mascot um, from 90 to 92. I was also the Lee College mascot in 1993, and um, which was Sparky the Flame. Did that for one year in Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, and now I'm a big out of the mascot at the University of Alabama. We have a little bit of a break, and I have this girl come up. And she says, so you were the minor tiger? And I said, yes. She says, well, so I'm from Prattville. I'm, I'm the new Prattville Lion this year. And I said, oh, hey. She said, did you ever get into a fight with the Prattville Lion? I said, I did. She goes, oh, my goodness. Do you know who that was you got in a fight with? Uh, no, I, I have no idea. So she says, so my big sister was a cheerleader, and so I can remember this like it was yesterday. So the little girl that was in the costume, it was her first time to ever be in a mascot costume. And so what was happening was this girl was an eighth grader, a little girl, and not only that, she was a foreign exchange student from Japan. <laughs> and she was wanting 
every bit of American culture that she could get. And the goal was, this was the game before their homecoming, which was the following week, and she was going to be introduced to the Pratt Bowl audience as the Pratt Bowl Lions. And so here I go over and I beat her up. She cried, got out of the costume, did not want to get back in it, wanted to go home, and not home to Prattville, home to Japan, because she hated America. She couldn't believe that she would get beat up like this in this costume. And so anyway, long story short, my first fight I ever got into in a costume was against an eighth-grade uh, foreign exchange student from Japan. So I'm really proud of myself, and what a good job that I did there. <laughs> wow, that's that's an international incident. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm surprised we didn't go to World War III over it. <laughs> well, tell us that you mentioned your time at Lee College. Tell us, tell us about your time there as Sparky the Flame. I mean, it was it was really brief. Um, I went to Lee, fell in love with the school. First time I ever went up there, um, got up there and, and um, got selected to uh, to be the Flame with a guy named Jr. And um, really, Sparky the Flame showed up for basketball games. That was about the only event that we did there at that time with Sparky the Flame. Um, so I was up there. I was very rowdy and rambunctious in the costume. Um, we, we had a, a little bit of a, uh, of a dust up with, um, our big, one of our biggest competitors, or I guess you'd say rivals, a uh, King College. And it's obviously they had a King mascot. And he and I got into a little skirmish at one of the basketball games. But, uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of action to spark this point. I was only there for a year. I ran out of money. Um, my, my parents weren't able to, uh, they weren't in a position financially to pay for me to be in college so I was doing it all myself and so um, the, any money that I had saved up was spent very quickly going out of state so paying out of state tuition and um, it's a private school so paying private school tuition um, all the money I had saved was gone quickly and so I had to come back home and kind of start over if you will um, it obviously ended up being uh, the best thing in the world blessing for me but uh, but yeah spark of the flame was, was just a very a very quick turn uh, through, the, through the calendar well, how did you get to be Big Al at Alabama? Man, it's, it's a it's a really cool story. I make it a little long winded on it. Um, so when when I went to Alabama, I was broke. You heard me talking about uh, making my way through Lee College and, and you're running out of money. So I'm broke as a joke. I'm the guy that was eating Slim Jims for um, breakfast and lunch and ramen noodles for dinner uh, for for dinner. Sorry, and just trying to survive. I mean working all the time and just trying to figure out how to pay rent and pay for a car and insurance. I've got to study a little bit too. And um, probably when I was in college, I, I, I was involved in a lot of extracurricular activities, if you will, where um, whatever uh, club we're going to tonight or whatever, you know, so I spent a lot of money just unnecessarily. So I just, I never had uh, a lot of money in my pocket, if you will. And so um, I saw where they were having, a, a, um, they had an advertisement up for Big Al tryouts. And I saw where Big Al, um, they had a varsity position, had two of those, and had a JV position, had one of those. And the varsity position this time was giving out a full in-state athletic uh, scholarship for tuition. And um, and the JV spot got a $500 semester tuition scholarship. And I saw that, Damien, I said, you know what, that would be life-changing for me. If I could get, uh, you know, all the in-state tuition stuff paid for, uh, that would be unbelievable. Plus, no doubt, being involved with the University of Alabama Athletic Department, what a dream come true to just be a part of that. Um, I'd do anything to, to be a part of it. And so um, I decided to try out. Now, let me say, growing up an Alabama fan, when I would go to the Alabama games, um, I would watch Big Al, 
watch him closely and loved watching him. But I never envisioned that I would be on that level to where I could be in that costume. That, that guy looked like it was the, the, the best professional mascot ever in the history of mascot. That they must pay that guy a million dollars a year because he's so good and so entertaining. Plus, he's at Alabama. So, you know, everything about it to me seems so larger than life. And so just being able to go and, and try out for it to me seemed like a major accomplishment, to be honest, just to go sign up and try out. So anyway, um, I did. I signed up and tried out, you know, had to talk myself into it. I said, you know, I did this in high school for a couple of years. I've done it at another college. Maybe that's, maybe that's the qualification I need to go do this. And so the, the, the trials have changed throughout the course of the years. Um, back then, the way it was, was you had a clinic that you did that they taught you in the clinic. This is um, how you walk like Big Al. This is how you exaggerate your motions like Big Al. This is how you show emotions like Big Al. This is how you sign a signature like Big Al does so that any time that you've autographed anything, the Big Al signature looks the same. The whole point was to make Big Al look like the same character from 1979 when he started until today. And so we all had to learn whatever that original walk was that was learned in 79, that's still the same walk today. Uh, and we would always say it was a cross between George Jefferson and Santa Claus. So kind of put your, your mind around that. That was what Big Al was supposed to look like when he walked. And so you learn all these kind of things, and um, I did pretty well in, in that part of it, and they have an interview process. And so I'm in the interview process, and we're talking about uh, Big Al, and they, they tell me that, um, you know, there's, there's three spots available, and we've got three guys that are coming back that have been Big Al previously, and uh, typically the guys that make it make it again. They try to really vet out their selection process. And so um, as they're telling me all that, you know, obviously it didn't look real good um, to be the mascot. But they told me, what would you think if we had a fourth position that was an alternate that was non-scholarship? And then um, I told them that, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that I could take that. I said, you know, in a real world, if everything was perfect, um, I would pay you if you let me be in the Big Al costume just to be involved in Alabama athletics, just to, to taste it, to be on the field during a game, to have that experience once. I'd pay whatever you wanted me to pay to do that. But at that time, I just wasn't in a position to do it without the scholarship. So I told him, I said, I'll tell you this. You guys have told me about this um, mascot competition. And, Jamie, I know you're aware. I don't know how many of your um, listeners are aware, but there is a legitimate competition for mascots. It's called the UCA College Mascot Championship, National Championship. And um, every year there are hundreds of mascots that try to compete for this. And so um, uh, they told me that Big Al had never qualified for this. And they gave me the set of reasons. They said the reason that Big Al had never qualified, number one, was the costume was too big. Um, and because the costume was so big, the points that we should be getting for exaggeration we're not able to get because the costume um, sucks in all that exaggeration. So that made it really difficult to compete. And they said that the head was so wide that it sat on the edge of your shoulders. And because of that, it limited the movement that you could do with your arms and your shoulders. So that kind of made you less than competitive with some of the other smaller mascot costumes. The hands on Big Al um, don't have fingers. They're just big socks, really, um, because they're paws. So you've got cotton down where your hands are. So that makes gripping things much more difficult so that was another reason why we couldn't be competitive. Uh, and the feet were too wide. Um, the feet were so wide that it made Big Al's walk um, 
really strange and awkward because of the way that the, the feet were set up. And so they gave me all these things on why Big Al couldn't. And I told them, I said, you know what? I said, um, I know that uh, that alternate spot's not for me. I, I'd love to take it, but it's not for me. I said, but I'll tell you this. If you give me one of those um, full scholarship opportunities, here's what I promise you. I promise you that this competition that you guys are talking about that Big Al's never been able to qualify for, I promise you that I'll be the first one to ever qualify to go to that. And not only will I be the first one to ever qualify to go to that, I'll be the first one to win it, and I'll change everything about what you think Big Al can and can't do. And uh, that was met with silence, and and then the word, okay, thank you. And that was it. That's how it ended. There was no um, great answer. No, that's really cool. How would you do it? Nothing. Just, that's it. <laughs> so um, I go in, and so you have this interview, you have a clinic, and then you have a skit that you do. Back then, the tryouts were open, and um, and so you did your skit in front of probably about a 1,000 people that were there to watch cheerleading tryouts, and they kind of got to watch Big Al tryouts also in the process. And so you, you had a skit that you would do in front of them that you made up. And so when I did my skit, I felt like I did as good as I could have done, and I ended up making one of the varsity spots. So um, when it was my time to uh, to go and try to compete for nationals, um, they have a summer competition at the camps that you go to, and I won the summer competition. Um, so I got I was one of 75 mascots. You know how they do it. But they select a couple of mascots around um, each summer camp in the country and, and invite them to try to qualify for nationals. Um, others can do it as well. And then you send in a highlight videotape of yourself. And back then they took the top 10 videos. And uh, that was half of your score back then was where you placed in your video. And so um, so my first time to do it, I won the summer competition, got invited, made my video, submitted it, and got a letter back. Um, I believe it was November 4th when I got the letter, letter back, which is my birthday, so it was perfect, that uh, we had qualified tied for eighth. And so um, at that point, I had become the first ever mascot from Alabama to uh, qualify for nationals. So um, really, really cool opportunity there to be the first one to go. Um, there's more to the story if you want me to keep going. Yeah, keep going. All right. So um, back then, Jamie, you know this, we didn't have YouTube. So there was no way to just, let me just go look and see what other mascots do and what are some other ideas. Uh, let, me, let me cheat a little bit and see if I can get creative by borrowing what other people have done. You really couldn't do that. So whatever you did, you really just made up and, and hoped it was right. So um, not having any experience in going to watch a mascot nationals competition, I had no idea what it was like to make a skit and execute the skit there. So we were really just winging it and hoping we, you know, we did the best we could. So we made a skit and, and felt that, uh, that we had done a, a really good job with it. And I say we because... Um, it's a team effort. Um, I had myself and, and a couple of guys with me, uh, Jason Watley, who also shared uh, the varsity role with me, and Brian Birdwell, who was our JV guy, and uh, and they certainly helped in making the skit, building the props. Um, it was a team effort. Um, I was the guy that competed it, but, uh, but I, we always said that we as a team were what what did it. And so um, so we, we made the skit, went down there for nationals. I was as nervous as it could be, and and did the routine. And I can vividly remember. Um, being on stage, and uh, and then uh, here's all the 10 mascots on stage that were competing this year, and uh, we're up there just kind of goofing off, and everybody's trying to see who can get more spotlight than the other as they're putting the trophies together and getting everything ready. And they said, now it's time for the awards. And, man, I'm going to tell you what, I'm extremely competitive, 
and I did not want to come in last. Now, look, I have no idea if I'm last place worthy or not, to be honest, because I, I didn't know really how to judge what I did. And so um, they say an intense place, and, and I mean, I squinched up tight, like, please don't be last, please don't be last. And they call whatever college was, was uh, in 10th place. And so I kind of sighed a little bit of relief, like, okay, well, that's cool. They call ninth place, and it's not me. And they call eighth place, and it's not me. And at that point, once they had done 10, 9, and 8, and I knew at that point that not only had I went backwards, but I had at least held my own, and now I could validate that I'd beaten someone, at least one mascot I had beaten while I was there, I felt really confident about everything. You know, I was like, okay, well, we're going to be all right. We're going to do good. And they call seventh, and it's not me. And they call sixth place, and it's not me. Now, let me say that we had made a goal, uh, my team, my coach, and I, that we wanted to finish in the top five this year because we knew that we qualified tied for eighth. And being tied for eighth, that was that was half of your score, how you qualified. And so um, the chances of moving up very high probably were slim because of that. And so if we could get in the top five this year, we could now have watched these mascot competitions and go back and then develop a really solid plan for how we would do this the following year and go win it. So we get to the top five, and they say in fifth place from Penn State University, the Nittany Line. I'm like, oh, wow, all right. Man, we've been a top four. That's awesome. And they say in fourth place from the University of Minnesota, Goldie the Gopher. And I'm like, well, this is awesome. Here we are, top three. Let's go. This is great. Now I'm I'm feeling great because we we set a goal we hit it I can say that we're in the top three in the nation dude I'm on cloud nine everything is perfect for me at this point right life is good and in third place from the University of Tennessee Smokey and here we are in the final two and I'm gonna tell you what all of a sudden a new level of adrenaline sinks in because you start thinking in the back of your mind could I actually win like is this possible. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, all right, so we're in the top two. I wonder who's left. And I look over to my left, and guess what mascot is standing beside me? Oh, I know. I know <laughs> well, who it is. Usually when I tell this story, people rush to answer this question, because if you're familiar with the University of Alabama, um, there is oil and water. If we're the oil, Auburn is the water. <laughs> we just don't <laughs> mix. And um, so sure enough, Albie is standing beside me. Now let me tell you about Albie. Um, Albie had won this competition like five or six years in a row going into this competition and, and had qualified first. And my joy and excitement of, man, we're in the top two, quickly changed to this sucks. Because I can see myself going back to Tuscaloosa and my buddy is going, man, how'd you do? How'd you do? Yeah, I came in second. Oh, that's awesome. Who won? Albie won. Oh, you stink, man. You let Auburn beat you. <laughs> like, I could just see that. Every, this whole accomplishment was going to be nullified because Aubie. <laughs> and so now I'm getting disappointed. Like, I went through such an emotional roller coaster in about 10 seconds, 15 seconds of, uh, you know, look over and see Aubie and I'm like, oh, no, no way. Of course, I know mathematically it seems impossible at this point because I'm the guy who's tied for eight. That's 50% of my score. He's the guy that came in first, and that's 50% of his score. And they say, and in second place from Auburn University, Aubie, and the 1998 national champion from the University of Alabama, Big Al. So um, that was a an awesome experience for me um, to do that. They, they made a big deal out of it at the university. Gave us championship ring. Um, they, they put it. We have a museum there called the Paul, Bre- Paul Bear Bryant Museum. Um, put my ring, my picture, trophy 
in the museum for several years. Um, it was really cool. Um, I was able to take my daughter to that museum during one of the football games and go in there and show her that's her dad. Her dad did that. And, um, so really a cool opportunity, man. It was uh, good stuff. Now, I may be mistaken on this, but I think at one time, were were you the only uh, Alabama Spirit Squad to win a national title? Um, at one point, yes. The, the cheerleaders have uh, pulled off two more since that time. Gotcha. Uh, but but up, up until recently, um, uh, as a matter of fact, in 1998, I believe that um, Big Al was the only um, athletic team, if you will, to win a national title in anything. I think we were the only championship in eSport in 98. Now, one thing pe- people don't realize is you talked about qualifying for nationals. You have yeah. to have your your video, which is I think it's a two minute video, two minute highlight tape, and there's really right. a lot. You really have to up the ante in that. And yes. sometimes, sometimes uh, mascots would take that to another level. What did what did you guys do that season to try to up the ante on that video? Well, let me tell you the following season. The story for that is probably a little bit better because on the first one. We weren't trying to up any ante. We really didn't know what we were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we were we were a squirrel that found a nut, to be honest. Um, but on the next season, we knew what we what we had to do. So, my roommate and I um, were sitting in my apartment one day, uh, one, one evening, and uh, we're watching television. And there was a show, and I don't know if you're familiar with WCW wrestling. It used to come on. It was it's now partnered with the WWE wrestling. But you know all the professional, the Hulk Hogan stuff, and all that, right? Are you familiar with all that? Oh, absolutely. Most mascots are. As <laughs> a matter of fact, it was probably the largest source of all my material came from those guys. Um, so there was a wrestling show called WCW Thursday Night Thunder. And um, this would have been sometime in 1998, uh, whenever this happened. Um, I guess it probably would have been the spring or, or the summer of 98, somewhere in, in those time frames. But so anyway, uh, we're watching wrestling, and it's a two-hour show. And the main event... There's a guy named Diamond Dallas Page, if you're familiar with him. Um, he's wrestling a guy named Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. And so my roommate and I have watched an hour of this show. Now, let me say that at this time, there was a, a really cool group um, that was in wrestling called the NWO. And all the college kids, high school kids, um, had T-shirts that were black that had the white NWO logo on them. We were all wearing them. We were all into the NWO. And, and so we had a size 4X NWO t-shirt made for Big Al and I would wear it to football games and you know all the guys you know would love it and I want to hop I want to get a picture made with Big Al in NWO shirt I look at my roommate and I said you know it'd be really cool what if Big Al showed up to this event I said think about it it's in Birmingham so it's an hour away from us in Tuscaloosa um that's our people Birmingham people traditionally are mostly Alabama fans but certainly let me go ahead and say probably going to a wrestling match, probably most of those were Alabama fans. <laughs> Not only that, but we could calculate that at a wrestling event, there was the opportunity for those people to be drinking alcohol, which would make them much louder than normal. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of events that I got to do in the Big Al costume um, while the event was going on that people could be drinking. So I was calculating that they would just be a little more loud than normal, a little more ecstatic than normal to see Big Al. So I said, you know what? One of the things we get scored on with our video is crowd reaction and crowd footage. And so I'm thinking that we can really get some crowd uh, participation points if we show up at this wrestling event wearing our NWO shirt. You know, who knows what could happen? We may just catch the people as they're leaving going out to their cars and 
just wanting to pile on Big Al and scream and yell. But it sure would be fun. What if we took off and went there and just see what we could do? What if we did it? My roommate says, so you're saying, do you want to try to go and break in the wrestling match? I really don't know what's going to happen. Let's just see. So we grabbed the Big Al costume. And back then, you didn't have a cell phone. So we had to grab a camcorder. You remember those days? Oh, yeah. We grabbed the video camera, and, and we take off top speed to Birmingham. Now, as we're on the way to Birmingham, and I, all I know is um, when we left, there was a little less than an hour to go in the show. We know that main event that's going on, who it is. Uh, we don't know if there's a tape delay, so maybe they're running five, ten minutes early. We, we don't know all that. Uh, we're just trying to see what can happen. As we start getting close to Birmingham, I'm getting excited. Let me tell you, I'm driving to Birmingham wearing the Big Al costume from neck down and the Big Al head sitting in the back seat. So just imagine the people as I'm driving by wearing Big Al costumes from neck down, uh, flying by them in my little red Honda Prelude. And so um, as I pull up to the um, the BJCC Arena, which is the big arena in Birmingham, Alabama, um, like any arena, the worst thing about going to any event is parking, always, right? And so as I pull up and I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do about a parking spot, how am I going to get close, there is a metered parking spot at the front door of the arena. There's these huge steps in front of the arena and the metered parking spot right at the base of those. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this isn't meant to be. So I pull in. I tell my roommate, dude, let's do it. Let's go. So I get out of the car, and I put the big owl head on. My buddy gets the video camera. And as we look up these steps, I'm going to tell you, it sounds like a rock concert is going on inside this arena. I mean, they're going nuts. The, the, the volume is crazy, right? So I go running up these stairs full adrenaline. My buddy's chasing the video camera. We get up to the door, and I grab the door to open it, and it's locked. And all I can hear is the crowd blowing the roof off this place inside. So as I'm sitting there like, well, what do I do now? Security comes to the door. Security opens the door, apologizes to me because he thinks I'm part of the show <laughs> and shows me how to get backstage. Big Al, you need to go back this way right here where you're supposed to go. So I begin making my way backstage. As I get down towards the floor, um, I can see, and, and if you've ever been to a wrestling match, just imagine that um, probably a, an eighth, a fourth, somewhere between there of the arena, if it's a bowl arena, is blocked by a curtain. And behind this curtain is backstage, if you will. On the front side of the curtain is a um, is a big stage with a ramp going down the middle of it with a wrestling ring at the foot of the ramp. And all the people are circling, circled around the wrestling ring. So I'm coming from behind this curtain, and I see these stairs. And I can look in the ring, and I see Diamond Dallas Page. And he's got his shirt off. He's leaning against the ropes. They're playing his music. Now, I knew his music because I watched the show. And um, and I'm like, well, it's not over. Uh, or it's over, I'm sorry. If it's over, it won't hurt anything. So I go up these stairs, walk through this curtain, and step out on stage. And when I step out on stage, the crowd goes Nuts. Now, let me say, while I was Big Al, I had David Hobbs and Mark Godfrey were the basketball coaches at Alabama while I was there. Neither of them really pushed the envelope on having a very loud home court environment. Um, it was usually very dull. Now, with Avery Johnson, it's crazy how loud it's gotten, how much fun it is at an Alabama basketball game. But back then, not so much. 
So I had never experienced anything like this indoors. Bryant Denny Stadium and Legion Field are crazy loud, but they're open air, so the, you know the sound goes up. Here, everything was closed in, and so when that crowd yelled, it vibrated my costume. I've never felt it like it, and so I'm just I'm living a childhood dream, Jamie. This this was so much fun just to stand up there. Well, what do you do now? Because here's Diamond Dallas Page in the ring, and I'm up on the stage. What are you supposed to do? Let me say this. One thing I learned about wearing the Big Al costume, or maybe not even wearing it, just having it with me, it was a get-out-of-jail-free card. There were a lot of things that I was able to do um, that the normal person could not because either I had the costume on or with me. So I was really used to just doing whatever you wanted to do whenever you wanted to do it. And, and, And so I said, you know what, let's go for it. So I take off running down the ramp. I do fireworks go off. Music starts playing. The match wasn't over. It was just starting. So here on live national TV is Diamond Dallas Page and Big Al running to the ring. I get to the ring, and I point to Diamond Dallas Page, who at this time is talking to the referee. And I learned through this process that the referee is in control of everything with a wrestling match. That he's got on a microphone and a headset, and he's dictating what's happening at all times. So Diamond Dallas Page was trying to talk to the referee, but clearly this was not part of the script. What's going on here? Nobody told me about an elephant getting in the ring. What's happening? I get to the to the ring. I'm I'm on the floor. And he's up in the ring, and I point to him. Jamie, did you watch wrestling at all? Were you a fan? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Do you remember what the name of the move was that Diamond Dallas Page did? The Diamond Cutter. The Diamond Cutter. That's right. Do you remember when he wanted to let the crowd know he was about to do a Diamond Cutter? What he did? He just raised his arms up in the air. Yes, and made a triangle. Made a triangle, right. right. That's right. And then he would throw his hands down, and the crowd would yell the word bang with him. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Okay. All right. So I get up to the to the ring, and I point to him. And then I hold both of my arms out. Now, listen, inside the big outhead, think about this. There's a trunk that's right in front of your face because you're wearing a football helmet with a big fiberglass shell around it. So there's a big elephant trunk right where your eyes are. So if you're inside the Big Al costume, you are looking to the left and the right at all times. So when Big Al walks, he swings his trunk backwards and forwards. It, it makes the, the elephant come alive with, with you know the trunk moving, the ears moving. But it's also so you can see what's in front of you. So I'm looking to both sides of me, and as I'm holding my arms out, think about just holding your arms as wide as you can, um, and then raising them up slowly to make a triangle in the air. I look in the whole arena. This arena holds 17,000 people. All 17,000 people are doing this with me in unison, and I am loving it. I get my hands up high, and I throw them down, and the crowd yells the word, bang! And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the best feeling ever. So at this point, the crowd breaks into yelling, roll tight. So just imagine I have hijacked this wrestling match, and this crowd is yelling, roll tight, roll tight. So what else? I'm not supposed to quit now, right? I've got the fans behind me. So I, I do a lap around the ring, and I get to the steps, and I crawl up in the ring with Diamond Dallas Page. Now, just imagine this, Jamie. Do you remember Hulk Hogan? Yeah. Do you remember when he would get into a ring and point to one side of the crowd and then kind of do his arm like in a circle um, and his hand go up to his ear to get them to yell. Right, right. So that is totally what I'm doing right here. I'm pointing this side of the crowd, doing a little circle with my hand, putting it to my ear, and they're screaming. 
And then I point to this part of the crowd, do the same thing, and they're screaming. I point to this part of the crowd, same thing, they're screaming. And they're blowing the roof off the place, man. It was nuts how loud these people were participating with me. Well, I'm doing that for, it seemed like a long time, but really was about five, ten seconds. And um, and then the next thing I know, I'm face first down on the mat. And as I'm down on the mat, my arms get yanked behind me. It's security. And they're telling me, you're going to jail, buddy. You're going straight to jail. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, you can't take me to jail. I'm Big Al. Well, they didn't really care about that. <laughs> so they, they towed me out of the ring. Um, it treated me like I'm a criminal. The whole crowd starts booing. And let me say, they carry me back to the back of the arena where there's this little closet. It is the jail cell. The crowd booed and did not stop booing the whole main event. They kept the boo up the entire main event on TV. Well, so anyway, I'm kind of still high from everything, if you will. And as I get to the closet, my roommate is in this closet crying. And um, as I go inside the closet, he's like, dude, we're going to jail. We're going to jail. I'm like, no, no, no way. And I start thinking about it. And maybe are we? Well, here's something we didn't know. We didn't know that the previous night they had a match in Atlanta and um, Ric Flair had a security threat against him. And so they had doubled up security in Birmingham because of this security threat. And so I guess security didn't work because a kid in Elvis suit <laughs> broke in and made it all the way in the ring without anybody stopping him, right? So Ric Flair came over and cussed me out, man, laid into me, cussed me out. There was a guy named Doug Dillinger that played the role on TV as director of security. He was the real legitimate director of security. And um, he was very upset with me, let me know how stupid I was and what I had done. And they wanted to know, why did I do this? And I told them, you know, I was the current national champion mascot. We were trying to make a highlight video and thought this would be good and thought they would enjoy it, thought the crowd would enjoy it. And um, they said clearly they did not enjoy it. And I said, well, what do you mean? Did you hear the crowd? They went nuts. They were crazy loud. And they told me, son, we don't need any help making crowds yell. We make that happen every night all across the world. We don't need some college kid to come show us how to make the crowd yell. I said, okay, but did you hear them? <laughs> they went nuts. You know, so so anyway, um, long story short, there was a warrant out for my arrest. They had the <laughs> WCW wrestling place. They placed a lawsuit on the University of Alabama, on the University of Alabama Athletic Department, on the University of Alabama Cheerleading Department, um, on my coach. I mean, they were throwing it at anybody that they could because they were very angry. So what I learned is, um, there was a potential break in FCC violations because um, it was not scripted to have the mascot, you know, be on TV. Uh, and so um, there was a potential $500,000 fine that um, WCW could be looking at if FCC wanted to call it. So long story short, um, I had to track down my coach, um, get her to verify that um, I really was the real mascot. I wasn't just some kid with an elephant suit. And to get out of everything, I had to have a letter of apology signed and faxed back to WCW Wrestling by noon the next day. Um, and so I had to go around to everybody who's anybody in the athletic department and get them to sign off, agreeing that we would not speak to media about it for a year, um, that we would never again um, be allowed to um, participate or attend any WCW sanctioned events. I mean, they they were very serious about you know what, what they wanted to happen. So just imagine college kid in, in the elephant suit going around to these uh, these guys in charge of the athletic department and um, and getting my lectures. I went to the guy that's the attorney for the athletic department and got a two-hour lecture on why this was the dumbest thing I could have ever done for me personally and for the University of Alabama Athletic Department. And I went to, um, who was our athletic director at the time, Mel Moore, 
And um, uh, he told me, he said, Shane, do you realize how this can be used in recruiting? He said, recruiting is the lifeline of what we do. He said, just imagine this. Just imagine right now that there's one of our competitive coaches sitting in some kid's house in his living room with mom. And the mom's on the fence. Should she go to Alabama? Should she go to Southern Miss? And the Southern Miss coach says, you know what? Why would you send your kid to Alabama? They can't even control the mascot. He got arrested the other day. Why do you want to send your kid to a place they have no control? He said, don't use anything to try to get an advantage to recruit somebody. I said, what? Well, I, I didn't think about that. I'm sorry. So the, my last stop was I had to go to the football coach, Mike DeVos, and get him to sign off on that, uh, that we would not attend any other events. I go in his office, and he says, Shane, I'm sure you've, you've heard all about this, and uh, everybody's talked to you, and, and they've given you the story on what a bad idea this was, and it's been a rough day for you. I said, yes, sir, this one's been tough. He says, well, I want to give you my opinion. I said, okay. And so I sit down and I'm braced for the, you know, everything. He starts talking about recruiting and kind of echoes what Coach Ward said about recruiting. And yes, I understand. He goes, so here's what I think, man. I said, all right. He goes, I think it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. He goes, I was actually watching it and I saw you because I think it's going to be great for recruiting. I think the kids are going to see it. It's very cool. I thought it was awesome. So anyway, um, I ended up getting out of that with a, a very heavy slap on the wrist. Um, my, my penalty, if you will, was I had to give the Big Al costume to the university. And I had to go check it out. I couldn't keep it with me. And so anytime there was a big owl appearance, I had to go check out the costume from the athletic department. Um, so uh, that, that was kind of a, a funny ending to that. Um, I will tell you that almost a year to the day later, I was doing a photo shoot for ESPN the magazine. And they had myself and the Stanford Cardinal and the Penn State Nittany Lions, Herbie Husker from Nebraska, um, the Miami Ibis and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets all doing a, uh, a photo shoot for ESPN the magazine. And I walked in, and I knew the Penn State line because uh, we had competed against each other. And he says, hey, Big Al, what's up, man? Listen, was that real or was that fake? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He goes, Dude, I watched you like a, a while back on TV at a wrestling match and saw you there, and then it looked like you got arrested. Like, did you really get arrested? <laughs> and so I said, yeah. And before I could tell the story, the Stanford tree goes, Wait, I saw that on WCW? Like, that was real? You really got arrested? And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Stanford tree watches WCW wrestling? I thought you guys were Stanford. Like, you were way above that, you know? So, anyway, that's kind of how that story ended up there. Well, you know, in the word, if you're a mascot that's worth a damn, you've had some kind of run-in with the law in some, in some <laughs> capacity. And, and like, like the late, great president of Southern Miss said, his name was Horace Fleming, he told me after not an, an incident on that large of a scale, but he says if you don't get in, in trouble, sometimes you really aren't trying. And that's right. That definitely applies to this craft. Well, well Jamie, I, I will tell you this: there's no, there's no doubt about the truth to what you said, because I totally felt that at football games, my last couple of years to be Big Al, that if I wasn't pushing the envelope, I wasn't a fun mascot to watch, and so. I, I actually embraced getting in trouble in the mascot suit because that meant that I was doing something that was really edgy, something that was entertaining to watch. I, I didn't just want to be the, the mascot that walked up and down the sidelines and grabbed cheerleaders' pom-poms and hit them in the megaphone. I really wanted to be something that could be real comic relief during the game or something that even maybe took attention from the game. I actually got in trouble um, during a basketball game. Uh, Mark Godfrey was our coach. Um, I got during the game. Mark Godfrey sent uh, one of the assistant coaches over to me and said, "Coach Godfrey wants you to quit. His basketball team is watching you 
and they're not watching the game, and he's having to get their attention off of you. And so um, I thought that was pretty telling. I said, well, tell them to put a better product on the field. And they'll all watch. I'll be on the basketball court, and they'll all watch. So anyway, um, yeah, no doubt about it, man. That's, I think that's just part of that. You've got to love that all eyes on me mentality um, when, uh, when you're a mascot, if you want to be a good one. And, you know, one of the things like we talked about earlier, one of the ways you do that, and especially you did this in the 90s, uh, were, were when you got into fights with other mascots. And you had a pretty yeah. memorable experience with uh, the mascot from Mississippi State. I did, man. I did. So we're playing Mississippi State. Now, I forget the year. I want to say this is probably 99, I think. We're playing in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, man, there was this storm that came out of nowhere. Um, I don't think it was expected at all. And so um, the game is getting ready to kick off. It may have even kicked off. It, it might have even started. I don't remember. Um, but all of a sudden, the storm came in, and lightning hit right beside the stadium. And so they evacuated the stadium, and they told everybody to get out, and they suspended the game. And so um, in, in Bryant-Denny Stadium, there's a, a room that's four cheerleaders and mascots. So we go, we all go in this room and just kind of wait it out. So this, this rain shower hits for probably – a heavy 20, 30 minutes, and it was heavy rain, and um, everybody just, I mean, it was immediate out of nowhere, so everybody just kind of left everything where it was and ran for cover. So then probably an hour, hour and a half later, they've let everybody come back into the stadium. And so the football players are back on the, the field, and they're warming back up again and getting ready to play. So Mississippi State cheerleaders, uh, at this time, they had white flags with maroon um, MSU logos on them. And they had left at least one out in this rain, and it had gotten soaked. So what they had done was they had unrolled it over on, on their side of the field. They had unrolled it. it was, here's this big white flag with a maroon MSU right in the center of it that was unrolled and laying, trying to dry out on the field. Now, I'm, here I am in the, in the mascot costume. The crowd is, is starting to fill back in the stadium, and clearly they're bored at this point because they've already been through the drama of, pomp and circumstance of the teams running on the field and the kickoff and then all of a sudden uh, the downer of you know being evacuated out of the field and you now it's rainy and just it was just gross you know what I mean so um, there wasn't a whole lot of energy in the stadium at this point and so I'm walking around and I see this flag and my first thought was the field is so muddy and so wet here's this white flag this would be an awesome slip and slide so I <laughs> I take off running, and I jump on this flag and try to slide on my feet. Of course, I bust my rear end, but the mud is flying all over the flag. Then I get up and go running and do a head first, dive on this flag and slide all over it, and the crowd is dying laughing. And, and I can I can see the, the, the men watching that are laughing going, that guy's nuts, I love it. And I can hear the women going, oh, no, he's going to get in trouble. Like I could, you, could just, you could feel that vibe, you know what I mean? And so, no doubt, man, this white flag is getting mud all over it, right? So I get done flipping side on this flag and get them kind of walk away, and I'm walking away a little cocky. You know, that's right. I just did that. That's that's one for the books right there. I need to remember that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was telling you earlier, the uh, the Big Al head is a football helmet that has a metal post inside of it. They're connected to a fiberglass shell. So if somebody hits you in the head, it doesn't hurt. It's just really loud. You know what I mean? And so um, all of a sudden, the loudest boom I had ever heard um, hits my head, and I turn around, and Bully, the Bulldog from Mississippi State, had taken that flag and rolled it up and reared back and hit me in the head with that flagpole. 
So I turn around and look, and there's Bully the Bulldog holding this flag. Had just hit me in the head. What are you supposed to do? We're in Tuscaloosa. We're not in Starkville. We're in Tuscaloosa. And the Bulldog has just picked up a flagpole and walloped me over the head with it. Good. I mean, he did a good job. So I did what I felt like I was supposed to do. And I took off running directly at him, and I speared him. Laid right into his gut and folded him up, right? He drops the flagpole. I tackle him down the ground. I take his his, uh, Bulldog head, and I rip it off of his head, and I throw it in the air. And I've got his head in a headlock, and I just start beating his head. (laughs) I'm just throwing punches (laughs) on him. So, so just kind of look at it. I'm laying on top of him on the ground. The bully bulldog head has rolled probably 10 feet away from us. And I've got him in a headlock with my left arm, and my right arm is punching in the face over and over and over. I get up, and the football players that are kind of on the sidelines that were, you know, have finished their warm-up or looking, and they're cheering me on. Get him, big Al, get him. Get. And so for me, that was so cool because I'm here to watch them. And they, in turn, were now watching me. So that was really, it fired me up. So <clears throat> I wasn't finished. And so when I hear these guys are, are on it, we're right beside one of their benches that they have. I jump on the bench, and as, as Bully is getting up, he went and put his head on. Matthew's getting up. No kidding. I jump up, and I lay right into him and knock him right back down face first, right? Everybody's laughing. I get up, kind of walk off like in a victory walk. Well, he just walks right by me very fast, walks right by me and goes to the cheerleading room that we have where we have drinks and we have snacks and if you need to go and just take your you know, head off for a minute and cool down, whatever, he goes there. So I just continue walking around the field doing my thing. We, we get to halftime, and I go walking in the uh, the cheerleading room, mascot room, and my coach grabs me up, and, and if she could have choked me, I think she would have. And she said, I want you to look at what you did to this Bulldog. And here's the Mississippi State Bulldog guy laying back. He's got um, cotton in, in one of his nostrils. He's got an ice pack on his eye. He's got blood on his face. Coming out of the side of his mouth, she's like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And I said, listen, that guy hit me with a flagpole. What, what was I supposed to do? She was Shane, you, you can't fight every mascot. You just can't do this every time. So um, long story short, we had to, had to write a letter of apology to Mississippi State University stating that we would not beat up Bull of the Bulldog again. And I'll say this. I enjoyed writing that letter. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you just have like a letter on file that you just printed off and signed and I, sent it to wherever you needed it to go? You know what, I did not, but probably would have been a wise investment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so your final game at Alabama was the Orange Bowl in 2000. What, yes, went, what went down at the Orange Brady. Bowl? Well, I'll tell you what, to, certainly to think about number one, just being able to witness Tom Brady in person, um, playing Michigan. You know, Tom Brady's amazing, but who knew back then that Tom Brady was going to be this superstar NFL player that he is today? Nobody knew that, but... We ended up losing the game by one point. We missed an extra point at the end of the game to tie the game to take it in overtime. And we missed it and lost the game. I think, no kidding, I think it was like 13 seconds left or something that we missed this extra point. But, um, so we lost the game, but uh, probably the thing that for me was the most memorable was the sponsor of the Orange Bowl that year, um, was the game Pokemon. Are you familiar with that game? Oh, Pokemon, yeah. when it came out? Oh, yeah. Right, so, so it had a character. Um, that was very significant. They kind of used a lot in their marketing a guy named Pikachu that was yellow. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. So before the game starts, um, we have the marketing people for the Orange Bowl. Say, hey, Big Al, we, we need you over here. Need to talk to you. I said, sure. So go walk over in here. I'm, I'm in this room with a couple people, and they're like, okay, so the second timeout of the second quarter, what we're going to do is the TV camera is going to go down to the tunnel 
and we're going to bring up the Pokemon logo on the screen, TV-wise, so commercial, and um, it's going to say the uh, 2000 Orange Bowl brought to you by Pokemon. Pokemon can't catch them, or whatever the tagline was. And said we're going to have about 10 seconds as we fade into commercial. That we'll have the Pokemon logo on screen. And what we want happening is Pikachu is going to run out the tunnel, and then we want you and the Orange Bowl mascot, because Michigan does not have a costume mascot. So we want you and the Orange Bowl mascot, which is a big orange, we want you to chase him out of the tunnel. And so while we've got this logo on, we're going to have the camera on you as you're running across chasing Pikachu, and then we'll go to commercial break. Uh, I said, okay, that's cool. Uh, what do I do if I catch him? They said, no, no, no. No, you're not supposed to catch him. That's the thing. You don't catch him. And I said, right, sure, but uh, what do I do if I catch him? He said, no, no, no. That's the whole thing about Pokemon is you can't catch him. I said, right, no, I get that. But, I mean, look, you can't see these costumes. What do you want me to do if I catch him? And this guy just pipes up out of nowhere that's one of the marketing guys. He says, son, listen, the guy that's in the Pikachu costume runs track for the University of South Florida. You're not going to catch him. And I said, oh, okay. So first time out of second quarter hits, my coach comes over to me. She says, hey, I need you to – don't forget, you've got to go back there and get in that tunnel. I said, oh, yeah, I'm on the way. I walk over to all the guy cheerleaders, and I tell them, y'all huddle up around me and hide me. They said, for what? I said, y'all just watch. Just hug. Everybody stand around me. Just hide me. So they have no idea what's going on. And really, Jamie, I don't either. <laughs> I really don't know yet what I'm about to do. Because it was my last football game in Alabama, and I really wanted to – I wanted to do something memorable. I wanted to be, what if – um, somebody from Michigan was breaking down the sidelines to score, and I stepped out on the field, tackled him, and saved the touchdown. You know, I'd probably get kicked out of college, but I'd I'd be in the history books forever. You know, I was kind of thinking about doing something like that. So I'm at about the 11-yard line, and I'm down on my hands and knees, kind of in a pose that a track person gets in before they run. And so sure enough, the second timeout hits for the second quarter, and my adrenaline is at an all-time high. And just as planned, here comes Pikachu running out of, of the tunnel, and right behind him is the orange. And um, as they're running, I kind of get a, a feel for the speed of Pikachu, and I take off running across the field. So here I come from the sidelines of the 11-yard line as Pikachu has run out of the tunnel, running directly to midfield. So you can see what's about to happen here. I'm, I'm running as fast as I can, and Pikachu has no idea what's about to happen. And I'm running, I'm running. Right as I get to him, I get down, and I, I do the best form tackle that I could ever do, maybe that you've ever seen any football player do. I get down and hit him with my right shoulder, pick him up, carry him three steps, and drive him into the ground. The hit was so hard that his head goes flying in the air and just does you know, several loops in the air and goes rolling to the side. So the arms just kind of stops, <laughs> you know, like, what in the world? So I get over him and, and kind of spread my legs and stand over him. And if you follow D-Generation X from the WWE back in the day, they had a little X move that they would make um, right in front of their waist with their hands. I get over and look down at him and give him the X that they would do. And then I look up in the crowd at my girlfriend, um, who later became my wife. Um, but I look at her. She's a major red at Alabama. And I point to her kind of like, look at your boy. Look what he did. And I can see my wife or my girlfriend at the time drop her head down like, oh, my God, I cannot believe you did this. <laughs> well, I walk off the field like, that's right, I did that. I, I just laid Pikachu out. In front. And the crowd went nuts. I mean, the crowd, you can just imagine. Just to put yourself in that situation that Pikachu comes running out on the field, and all of a sudden, 
one of the other mascots just goes and takes him out midfield. You can imagine the roar that would have happened there, right? That it was exactly how it was. So I go walking out. My coach is like, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Wasn't that awesome?" She said, "Shane, that's the sponsor of the Orange Bowl." I said, "I know. Wasn't that great?" She goes, "No, no, that's the sponsor of the Orange Bowl." I said, "I know. Isn't that awesome?" Shane, they paid millions of dollars to be the sponsor of. You just tackled the sponsor that paid millions of dollars of the orange. Shane, do you understand what you've done? And I was kind of like, right, you put it in that, that terminology. I do really think about that. She goes, you've totally ruined their sponsorship, Shane. What are you thinking? So certainly uh, at the end of the game, um, we have some PR people, marketing people from Pokemon come over and say, we want to talk to the guy in the elephant costume. And so um, my coach gladly, I mean, hands me up to him like, here you go. This is him. Get him. And they said, you know, we should be very angry with you right now. And I said, really? <laughs> they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we sure should. They said, but however, we got so much buzz uh, from people talking about our, our mascot getting tackled by you that we couldn't have bought that kind of publicity. So thank you very much. Although we should be mad, we made our money back ten times. So thank you for that. So it ended up working out pretty good that, that I, I laid out uh, Pikachu uh, in midfield at the uh, the Orange Bowl. Did did you say I choose you right before you did it? No, I did not. <laughs> no, pretty much what I what I was thinking was, oh my god, oh my god, I'm about to do this. I'm about to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that you know civilians don't realize is that if if you you can't put like a corporate mascot into the, I, I guess you say the territory of the realm of a don't fully legit college mascot without expecting. It. Something like that to no, happen. They have no chance at survival. None. No. <laughs> none at all. That's right. And you, so yeah, you, you mentioned your wife. You ended up marrying her, and I, I met her at one of the games when Southern Miss was playing Alabama. And right. I've seen her, and I've seen you. So I'm assuming you guys <laughs> met while you were in costume. There's no doubt about it, man. I, I put the chase on her big time and, and tried to play the game of, you know, making her wonder about the, the guy in the, the elephant suit. It's funny. Because when I first started really flirting with her, it was no doubt I was in the Big Al costume. And um, she had a boyfriend of three and a half years. And um, I don't know that she had any intentions of, of looking elsewhere. And um, I would flirt with her like crazy in the Big Al costume. And um, his buddies would tell him, dude, you better watch out for Big Al. He just continues to flirt with Courtney over and over. And he's like, ah, it's just Big Al. That's what he does. That's what he does. No, they were right. I was, I was working, man. I was. I was working like it was my job to, to meet this little blonde-headed girl and figure out how to how to make her mine. You know what I mean? But yeah, it, it worked out really good for us. We've had a lot of fun stories to to share in the process of doing pep rallies together and football games together, things like that. It really worked out well. And uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, no doubt that wearing that that little gray carpet that we call an elephant, um, it helped a it helped a guy like me step way out of his league and outkick the coverage. You even wrote a book. Uh, after graduation, called uh, Big Al Behind the Mask. I did. That's right. Now, <laughs> you sold out of it, didn't you? I did. Well, actually, the first order that we did was 2,500 copies, um, and uh, we sold out of that, I think it was within a month that we sold all of those. And um, at that point, I self-published it, self-marketed it, and um, it was really cool because at that point, I had a successful book. Um, it was neat to talk about, neat to do. It was really funny how it came about so because I, I, I do a lot of speaking engagements and tell these stories, and people always say, man, you, you need to write a book. These stories are great. You should write a book. 
And so um, I started thinking, if uh, if I have these kind of stories, I know other guys that wore the Big Al costume have stories like this too. So I reached out to as many former Big Al's as I could and said, tell me your best stories. I want to put together a book. And so they did. And so um, the book is hilarious to hear some of the things that have happened to people in the costume. Uh, it, it's hilarious. a great read. And it's kind of a different spin on, on Alabama athletics. So when I went to um, Steve Townsend, Steve is the former um, sports information director, uh, former athletic director at, at Alabama. Um, he's written several books um, for the university. Uh, he, he, one of his biggest was Tales of the 77 Tide, that, um, and he wrote one called Talk of the Tide. And he does a lot of these compilation books, you know, where he's getting old football players, old coach, coaches to tell their side of the story and what happened. What happened. His books are great. They're, they're such fun to read. And so I reached out to him and said, look, I want to write a book about Big Al. Well, he wasn't really impressed. He's like, I don't see that being a big deal. And I said, let me tell you some of these stories, and, and I'll you know, gauge what you think. So I sat down with him for hours telling these stories. And, um, and then there was a video that I have, and the video is highlighted by several fights that I got into with other mascots. And it was um, several different um, videos that we did for uh, nationals trying to put the compilations together of different years, and I would have fights in between. And so he says, Shane, don't take this the wrong way, but the way you make money with a book is you need to have some type of celebrity. He said, and you're really not. He said, you know, you're just a kid that wore the Big Al suit. He said, so uh, maybe could we bring Gene Stallings in, maybe some of the former players that you're friends with, that you've got some stories with them. Maybe they could sign books because, look, book signings are where it's at. That's how you make money. And um, and I said, no. I said, you know, what I was thinking was that book signing, we would just bring Big Al and let you get your book autographed by Big Al, get your picture made with him when you buy it. He says, that's genius. Let's do it. And so we set up with the, the current Big Al at that time to go on a um, book signing circuit with us, and um, he would show up, and we'd, we'd have a long line of people that were waiting to get their book and get their picture made with Big Al. It was crazy. I never experienced anything like it. Um, I, I can say that I had a successful one-book deal that, that worked out really well for me. I think after this, you're going to have to put it back up online. Or something. So. <laughs> you have to do a digital copy. Maybe so. Maybe maybe it needs that. It, it'd be good to refresh it up a little bit. Well, what are you up to now? What do you have going on now? Man, I am currently uh, the director of commercial sales and marketing for Surpro over in Birmingham, Alabama. So, um, what we do is we take care of um, your building in case you have fire damage, water damage, sewage damage, biohazard damage, anything that's bad in your facility. You call us, and we get a team out there immediately clean it up so that you can keep your business back up and running. So um, it's a great place to work, great people. Um, It's amazing the passion they have just to take care of people. So it's good to be a part of their group for sure. You're obviously a huge Alabama fan. You you have to be really pleased with how the past few years have gone for the Crimson Tide. (laughs) I'm jealous that I didn't get to be a part of it in the costume. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, listen, the the four years that I was in the costume – I had uh, Gene Stallings last year, so we went to the Outback Bowl that year and played Michigan. The following year was Mike Dubose's first year, and we didn't go to a bowl at all. Um, the next year was Mike Dubose's second year, we didn't go to a bowl. And then my last year, um, we went to the Orange Bowl um, as the SEC champion. So uh, I, I got the uh, the ebb and flow of what it was like to be average, <laughs> for sure. Well, Shane, man, it's been incredible catching up with you. I think uh, fans of – anybody that's a college football fan is going to enjoy this episode. I mean, really terrific to have you on. Good to catch up, man. And uh, you take care take care of yourself, man. Keep in touch. Hey, man, it was great to talk to you. It's awesome to watch your success. And 
man, I can't wait to go um, watch some more stand-up of you, man. You're awesome on stage, and I can't wait to get a big crowd to come watch you. That was Shane Sharp, author of the book Big Al Behind the Mask. I hope you guys enjoy it. And we've got really, really solid interviews coming up these next few weeks. Um, Some of the new faces on campus, uh, you know, that we're going to get into football. So it's getting to be that time of year. You can follow us on Twitter at to the top talk. You can follow me at Jamie underscore Arrington, Jason at Bumper J Bailey on Facebook and Instagram as well. Got to give some shout outs. Shout outs to our friends at collegesportsunfiltered.com. Go check it out for some Southern Miss banter. Shout out to the men of Sigma Chi, the Theta Delta chapter here at Southern Miss. And shout out to the men of Pi Kappa Phi, the Theta Alpha chapter. My next comedy show coming up, Last for Life 2019 with Frank Caliendo as seen on ESPN, uh, Fox NFL Sunday, as well as Mad TV. Master Impressionist Frank Caliendo going to be right here at the Sanger in Hattiesburg on Friday, August the 2nd. Tickets on sale now, laughsforlife.com. That's laughs, the number four, life.com. I think voting's still going on for Best of the Pine Belt. So if you'd like to show some love to Jason and I for Best po- Local Podcast, this is all, man, do it for bump. Voting going on right now at festivalsouth.org in this year's Best of the Pine Belt Awards. Patreon, if you want to check that out, patreon.com slash to the top talk. If you'd like to run some advertising on the show, or if you'd just like to show some love to the program, you can do that there at patreon.com slash to the top talk. Look for to the top talk on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Subscribe, give us a rating and a review. If you like the show, tell your friends. If you don't like the show, tell your friends. And as always, Southern Miss to the top.